Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. All right. They're cheering because Mike is back. Mike is back. I'm Ma- cheering. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Mike's with us again. Hi. Yes. Uh, yeah, I went to... Um, Went to nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, good show last week. Uh, uh, it was enjoyable and a good guest, uh, of course. And uh, yeah, thank you right. very much again. Um, and I did update the uh, links on the show page because uh, there was uh, a uh, some discussion about that. But uh, they do they do point to her uh, uh, Christie's Christie yeah Christie uh, yeah. her, her page. Yeah, her page and information, so uh, you get more on that. And it's also good. on the website, allaboutwinebtr.com. And uh, so, Facebook. yeah, that's very good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I was, was going to be well, sure that you uh, uh, got the got those posted up there because, uh, uh, especially on Facebook, um, Engineer Trudy put yes. them up there, and she had problems popping them up on their Facebook page. And so uh, nope. I'm glad you okay. got them posted on yeah. there. Yeah, still doing so. work behind the scenes. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, it's always good. It's always what we can, um, we can look at you on, except for well, losing of, the, uh, uh, the jazz. Speaking of uh, the uh, Facebook Facebook page, uh, if y'all go to uh, facebook.com, I, I don't know if it's all about wine BTR, you know, slash, you know, the facebook.com slash all about wine BTR. I'm not sure if it if it follows that way, but if you look look us up on Facebook, uh, you'll see some posts and you know show announcements, links and things. And uh, I just like it when I see, you know, our followers uh, like post or share them or, you know, little links and things. And it, it, it lets us know that, that things are, you know, being seen and, and there's interaction there. And uh, I, I noticed, um, oh, gosh, what was the last one that uh, she's been on there quite a bit? Uh, Lisa, Lisa from uh, Simple uh, Sojourner, I believe. Uh, yeah. 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 SimpleSojourner.com. Yeah. So uh, she's been locking uh, a bunch of our stuff on there, and I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. So uh, yeah, Lisa yeah, was a guest of uh, yeah. Year ago, I remember. And our, you know, a year and a half ago, I can't remember. Time gets away from mm-hmm. us, so it's hard to hard to remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, she. Uh, I, I noticed that too, and you're absolutely right. It's always nice to see people follow us on that and, and comments yeah. and things. It, she nice was on uh, June second. Oh my gosh, June second of 2016. Sixteen. Oh my yeah. gosh! Really? What? Oh, oh. oh my god! Oh, I thought you were going to say seventeen. Yeah, it's late. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. Go, yeah, it's even been a year. It's been 
almost been that. Wow, that is a so long two time. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, she she stopped at the winery, I guess. Um, yes. Before yes, her appearance yeah. on here. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, wow. That's where I met the winery. Oh my God. Look at the. Uh, just look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is oh. odd. That is so odd. Okay. That's crazy. Mm. Gee, two and a half years yeah. ago. Well, I'm glad yeah. she's still out there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's odd. Hmm. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for thank you for tuning in and for for you know liking stuff on the page. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. anybody who wants to check out her website, go to uh, simplesojourner.com. It's a travel blog, and uh, she said ninety-eight uh, percent of the pics on her blog are her own taking. So uh, yes, it's um. Pretty cool. It's so, some nice pictures yeah, I too. I, I I do. I check the I check her blog every once in a while. Just you know, flip over to it. I have it on a favorite, and uh, I'll be mm-hmm. thumbing through and looking at my favorites. And I go, oh, I haven't looked at her in a while. So I go over and I read and catch up. But uh, there are some nice pictures on there. Some really really beautiful yeah. shots that she's taken. Kind of sick if she's still uh, keeping up with it. But uh, I think the at least the last thing I'm I'm seeing on it was from 2017, maybe. Yeah, that's uh, it's been a while. Uh, but, every uh, time I yeah. go back to it now, it's just some older stuff on there. But yeah, uh, well, good good to know that she's still following me. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, awesome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we thanks everyone for for following that and for following us on the show here too. We appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, heading into a, a new year here. This is our last show for 2018. Oh my gosh! Wow, uh, I know. Uh, next year uh, we'll be hitting our tenth anniversary, and on uh, all about wine on Block Talk Radio. Jeez, mm. uh, <laughs> that's right. odd. Hey, ten years we've been doing. So, yeah. And <laughs> uh, well, so I put together all these little compilations. I sh- we should do one of, of bloopers. I don't know if we've had any real bloopers or anything. I mean, well, we've cut some of them out. Whenever we get some bloopers, you you are <laughs> very good at editing. Oh yeah, so. I, I wasn't thinking <laughs> yeah. about those bloopers. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've had know. our share of, of bloopers that you've edited through mm. into the yeah no man's land. That is a and, uh, that's that's a total different uh, type. Yeah, I, total I, different I, category. I Yes, those are uh, those are ones that should not be aired to begin with. But um, I, but I, right. I mean the other types of uh, there haven't really been any like other types yeah. of bloopers, you know. It's, it's, Just uh, me not pronouncing names right, I'm, and I'm very good at that. So you know, <laughs> I'm gonna do that again tonight too because I'm, I'm gonna talk about champagne. I'm gonna be not pronouncing some of those right too. So <laughs> not pronouncing some of those. <laughs> That's right. I'm not gonna be. We should set up a. Right. Set up a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. Just That's right. Little, little As Ron there. pronounces names, if they're wrong, yes. don't cringe. Yes. That's just he You're right. doesn't speak any of the language except English. And so therefore, yes. you know. Hold all cringing. That's right. Hold all cringing, please. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, what time is it? Oh, so December 27th. Uh, yeah, you already said that. And uh, I'm sure we have some days coming up that are that – are, uh, Perfect for food, uh, um, little days that are dedicated to particular foods or something out there. We do. That, um, we do. Well, what do you our have? Food, our food days come in. Oh, 
you know, we, we were mentioning some of the ones that you've cut out. See, that's what you get for not listening to us live. Because if you listen to us live, you can pick up that stuff. But on archives, yeah. you, you it's too late. Mike is yeah. quick with the edit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and if you listen on the yeah. archives, if if you're if you're listening for, wow, I wonder what food goes with this turkey for Thanksgiving, and it's already December. You know, that's why that's you right. kind of want to listen to the show before Thanksgiving because that's usually what it right, is. Right. But, uh, or even now, but, I'm going to like, be talking about food for the next week. And if you don't listen to yeah. it after the first of the year. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this would so, have been good for last year. That's year. right. Yeah. Or you can make notes and next year, no, in advance. But no. <laughs> So listening <laughs> live does pay off. It really has this been yeah. so. Oh, okay, so food, food we're talking. What, what, what food's coming up for this next week? Was it uh, today is National Fruitcake Day, which I thought was odd because it's after Christmas, and fruitcake seems to be a Christmas item, but National Fruitcake Day today. Tomorrow, a good day for everyone, National Box of Chocolates Day. And there's some great red wines out there. Get yourself some good dark chocolates and a box of good dark chocolates and get yourself some red wine, some Cab or Merlot, Pinot Noir, Zimadon, and have yourself some dark chocolates. Saturday, 29th, National Pepper Pot Day. Huh, Pepper Pot. And also National Get on the Scales Day. So grab yourself a glass of wine and step on the scales. You will probably, most of us need that drink of wine after you sit on the scales. Sunday, National Bacon Day. That's something we can all get behind there. National Bacon Day. And then uh, Monday, New Year's Eve, that's Champagne Day. That's ones where lots of champagne. Champagne's drank. And one of the good things about that now, too, champagne, we're going to be talking about champagne here in a little bit. That's going to be our topic tonight is champagne. <coughs> Excuse me. Then coming up on Tuesday, a new year, 2019. And it's January. January is National Hot Tea Month, National Soup Month. National Oatmeal Month, a good cold outside and sit inside and have some nice oatmeal on the inside. And I'm sure that could take any of the oatmeals, the ones that take 15 minutes to cook or cook in one minute or the ones that you have in little packets and you just pour the hot water in the packets or whatever. That, that oatmeal comes in all sorts of goody ways now. And with your oatmeal, and try this little Moscato, little of the uh, little sweeter wine. I think that would be a nice balance there. I like cinnamon on my oatmeal, so I like that balance. Also, January is National Slow Cooker Cooking Month Day. Wheat Bread or Month, rather. Wheat Bread Month and January is Egg Month. So, those are the, if you can't find something to celebrate for the day, one of those will work for you. Tuesday, not only is it National, or a, boy, New Year's Day, it's also National Hangover Day, which makes sense. 
Also, National Bloody Mary Day, which seems to be the cure for hangovers, and National Black Eyed Peas Day. Supposed to bring you good luck, black eyed peas. So when you sit down for your good luck meal for the new year, be sure to pop open a bottle of wine with it. Wednesday, National Cream Puff Day. I like a good cream puff, good flaky cream puff. And National Buffet Day. So there you go. Sad thing is, I've never been to a buffet where you can order wine, which, yeah, I think it would be good if you can have wine with a lot of those foods, but they won't let you. And Fruitcake Toss Day comes up next Thursday. So if you haven't ate your fruitcake from National Fruitcake Day, then it's time to toss it next Thursday. And then next Thursday is also National Chocolate-Covered Cherry Day. So got you set up for the weekend to next Thursday before our program next Thursday night. And we'll let you know what's coming up for the week after that next week. And that's it for that. Let me give you a, a bit of trivia here. I've been keeping up on the trivia, trying to keep you updated on trivia as much as I can. Time for the next one. Oh, yeah. Need a great way to kick off a summertime dinner party? That's no odd time of year to tell you this. Uh, how about a crisp, bubbly version of a sea breeze? Uh, chill six tall glasses and add a few ice cubes. And a large pitcher combine three cups of grapefruit with three cups of cold cranberry juice. Uh, and if you like to make it sweeter, add a little less grapefruit juice, a little more cranberry. Add a bottle of very cold sparkling wine to the juices. Stir gently, pour into the glasses, and serve immediately with lime or orange wedge and a sprig of fresh mint. And so those are uh, a sea breeze, a summer. But, again, since we've got the new year coming up here next Tuesday, or, well, New Year's Eve, next Monday evening, that might be a good little extra treat for everyone there. And champagne. I was thinking, what? well, since it is the new year, I thought it would be a good time to talk about champagne and cava and Prosecco and all the ones out there that we tend to enjoy in the bubbly. And I've been telling you over and over throughout the year here, it's champagne and a bubbly is not just for the special occasions, not just for the holidays, not just for New Year's Eve. You can enjoy it all the time. Continue to tell you that. Pop open a bottle anytime. But it seems to be that most of them are popped open this coming Monday evening on New Year's Eve. Celebrate with a glass of champagne and a... Uh, uh, loved one and friends, and that is always a fun time and time that uh, people use the uh, champagne more than anything. But speaking of it, uh, oops, wrong one here. Let's. There is or whispering oaks. Whispering oaks is having their New Year's Eve celebration. Whispering Oaks is located in uh, Florida, up in uh, uh, Oxford, 
Florida, and they're having a New Year's Eve celebration, dinner, meal, everything. And it's a party due to circumstances around their show. They've had to change the original New Year's Eve plan and are so excited to celebrate New Year's Eve with you. So they're going to have a band. They're going to have an evening of food. They're going to have their wine. They're going to have music. They're going to have uh, friends, um, live music until 10 p.m. Uh, with an early New Year's Eve toast to close the night at 10. Uh, you can... Uh, Contact them. It's $60 per person. Includes the, the tax and contributes. not included. Reservations are available at winesofflorida.com slash steak-night. And it includes a drink of wine or beer, three-course meal selection of either 10-ounce uh, beef filet, 14-ounce ribeye, or herb-grilled jumbo shrimp, uh, the choices of all sorts of desserts, wine giveaways throughout the night, and celebrate the New Year's coming in. So uh, they will have that coming up on um, Monday evening. So uh, something to look forward to get a hold of Whispering Oaks Winery in Oxnard. I keep saying Oxnard. It's not Oxnard. It's Oxford, uh, Florida. So. Uh, let's see, and I think that's the only only winery that I've heard from this past couple of weeks. So, since we're talking about New Year's Eve, champagne is a sparkling wine, or in the EU countries, legally only that sparkling wine which comes from the Champagne region of France. Uh, we've talked about the significance of that. Where EU or European Union, EU law applies, the alcoholic drink is produced from grapes grown in the Champagne region of France and by following rules that demand, among lots of other things, a secondary fermentation of the wine in the bottle to create carbonation. And it also requires specific vineyard practices, sourcing of the, grues, of the grapes exclusively from specific parcels in the Champagne Appellation and specific pressing regimes unique to that region. So there's a lot of rules and regulations on this Champagne. They're very pretty tight about this. Uh, a lot of countries use the term Champagne as a generic term, which pretty much is illegal. You're only supposed to use Champagne if you're from the Champagne region of France, and they're pretty strict on the controls of that. Grapes used... Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. And uh, that's almost all of the champagnes are made from those three basic grapes. Uh, Chardonnay is used for almost all sparkling wines just about everywhere, it seems like. You can use, which is legal, a Pinot Blanc, a Pinot Gris, an Arbane, and a Petit Mesler. Uh, I think it's pronounced Mesler. Mesli? Mesler. Uh, and certain appellation rules specifically are designated certain plots that you can use for the production of champagne and all that. Uh, again, a pretty strict ruling on the champagne region itself. The champagne became associated with royalty in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, which led manufacturers to make efforts to associate their champagnes with noble 
nobility and royalty through their advertising and their packaging and everything else. Uh, middle class uh, started to pick up on it. They figured it out. If the royalty can have it, then Elise should be able to. And so champagne houses started to advertise and started to try to sell it to more of the middle class. Uh, little origins of champagne. Now, this is what's interesting. It's that still wines from the champagne region were known before the medieval times. So it's been around for a long time, uh, the champagne region of wines there. Romans were the first to plant vineyards in the area, uh, northeast of uh, northeastern area of France, with that uh, being tentatively cultivated uh, by the 5th century. Uh, cultivation was initially slow because of Emperor Domitian, D-O-M-I-T-I-A-N, Domitian, uh, that made, uh, uh, well, when he took over, he had all the vines uprooted. But then when Emperor Probus, uh, who was the son of a gardener, got power, he rescinded the edict and a temple to Bacchus, the god of, of the grape and god of wine, was erected uh, when he was in. And it started to produce, uh, the Champagne region started to produce a red wine, just a light red fruity wine that uh, was completely different than the heavier Italian brews that were often fortified and, and with resin and herbs and stuff uh, to make it a, a stronger drink. Uh, churches own a lot of the vineyards, and the monks produce wine for uh, the sacrament of Eucharist. And French kings were anointed in Reims, the Champagne uh, region right there, and at all part of their coronation festival. Um, but they were still the Champagne region was still trying to become equal to the Burgundy region to the to the south, but the climate was not conducive of making good red wines. They were usually a lot lighter, uh, fruitier, not not full-bodied like in the Burgundy region. And uh, grapes would struggle to, to ripen, which produced uh, higher levels of acidity and low sugar levels. And again, just a lighter, thinner wine than what the Burgundy region was. So... Contrary to popular legend and popular belief, and this is what I found interesting, Dom Perignon did not invent sparkling wines. And I've always heard that Dom Perignon was the one that stepped in there and he, you know, and this is the lineage of the, even the bottle with his name on it and that, you know, this monk was the one that did it. Dom Perignon did not. Uh, though he did make some important contributions to the production and quality of both still wine and sparkling wines. The oldest recorded sparkling wine is uh, Blanquette de Lameau, uh, which was apparently invented by Benedictine monks in the Abbey of St. Hilaire, I think it's pronounced Hilaire, uh, near a town called Car Carcassonne. This was back in 1531. Uh, they achieved this by uh, this bottling the wine before initial fermentation had ended. So it was still fermenting. And throwing the bottle, which continued to ferment the bottle, which 
created your bubbles and everything else, your oxygen. Over about a century later, uh, English scientist and physician Christopher Moret documented the addition of sugar to finished wine to create a second fermentation. This was six years before Dom Perignon set foot in the Abbey. So, you know, all this was taking place long before Dom Perignon. Moret presented a paper at the Royal Society in which he detailed what is now called Method Champonet. This was in 1662. Maris' discoveries coincided with the English glassmaker's technical developments that allowed bottles to be produced that could withstand the required internal pressures during secondary fermentation. Now, this is something very important, too, which I never considered. But, yeah, you had to have bottles that would be able to withstand this this pressure. I, I have seen... And I have heard of bottles that have started to ferment a second time actually exploding, regular wine bottles, uh, because they couldn't handle the pressure. And there is a lot of pressure that builds up, hence shooting your cork across the room and stuff like that. So quite a bit of pressure builds up in that. So uh, he, uh, when the... uh, British English started to make glass that was strong enough to withstand the pressures during the second fermentation. It made champagne even easier to do. French glassmakers at that time could not produce bottles of the required strength. Uh, 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 As early as 1663, the poet Samuel Butler referred to it uh, as brisk champagne. Um, A uh, reference to the the bubblies and how strong it was. In France, the first sparkling champagne was created accidentally, actually. The pressure in the bottle led it to be called devil's wine as bottles exploded or corks popped. Again, I've seen that happen with you know secondary fermentations in bottles. At the time, bubbles were considered a fault. Uh, the in 1844, Adolf Jackson, Jackson, invented the musillet. This is the wire. This is to prevent the corks from blowing out. And initial versions were very difficult to apply, obviously, and inconvenient to remove. Obviously, no machines to put the things on consistently. Uh, even when they uh, deliberately produced as a sparkling wine, champagne was. Uh, for a very long time made by the method Rural, where the wine was bottled before the initial fermentation had finished. It did not start using the method Champenet until the 19th century. That was about 200 years after Moret documented the process of doing it that way. It took them 200 years to start using that with consistency. The 19th century saw an expert potential growth in champagne production uh, going from a regional production of 300,000 bottles a year in 1800 to over 2 million bottles a year by 1850 and by 2007 champagne hit an all time record of 338.7 million bottles 
that was in one year. And that record has stood so far, too, from what I understand. The 19th century champagne was noticeably sweeter than the champagnes of the day. The trends toward drier champagne began when Pierre Jouet decided to not to sweeten his 1946 vintage before exporting it to London. The designation Brut, B-R-U-T, Brut Champagne, was created for the British Isles in 1876. So that was a little bit of the origins of the champagne. Now, right to the name Champagne. This is something we've talked about before. The Champagne winemaking community is under the control of, and here I'm going to destroy this pronunciation, Comete Interprofessionnel du Vin de Champagne. Actually, that was pretty close, I think. CIVC. That is uh, the shortening of it. CIVC. Uh, they've came up with a set of rules and regulations for the uh, all produced uh, for all wine producing in the Champagne region. Now, this includes uh, codification for the most suitable growing places, the most suitable grape types. Most Champagnes are blended up to three grapes, although there are some that allow others in it. We mentioned earlier, and a very lengthy set of requirements specifically for the viticulture, for the growing of it. This also includes the pruning, the vineyard yield, the degree of pressing, the time that wine must remain on the leaves before bottling. It can also limit the release of champagne to market to maintain prices. And only when a wine meets these requirements may be labeled champagne. Makes you wonder why people would want to have a champagne house in in France with all the rules and regulations, but there are a lot of them. The rules agreed upon by CIVC are submitted for final approval to Institut National de l'Original et de la Qualité. Okay, and I'm sure I destroyed those names. Um, the um, which formerly was an, another name they changed it I N A O is what it is. In 2007, I A N O was making the latest revisions and the boundaries since 1927, and this is because of economic pressures. They uh, demand of champagne and the small areas that they were controlling they and that they could say was champagne, was not keeping up with the demands in the worldwide market. These small areas that they had that were planted in champagne grapes and under their control. So they changed it. And uh, the change is subject to scientific review. And it should not affect the impact of champagne-produced grapes until 2020. So a couple more, not even a couple years, a little over a year now, uh, we'll start seeing a little bit of difference in the region and stuff, but it should continue to be the same. They just expanded the areas, and, you know, if you're on the fringe of champagne, not quite in the region there, you weren't 
subject to the rules and regulations. And by 2020, they will. Uh, use of the word champagne. Uh, we have uh, talked about this before. Uh, quick review here on why it is restricted and all that. Uh, the legal structure of the word champagne is exclusively for sparkling wines in the Champagne region made in accordance with the uh, Comité Interprofessional du Vin Champagne regulations. And there's lots of other countries that uh, they can't call it. The EU is very strict on that. Uh, it's uh, legally protected uh, by what they call the Madrid system under the 1891 treaty, which reserved it for the sparkling wine production of the region. And that protection is reaffirmed in the Treaty of Versailles after World War One. Uh, other protection over the years, and it's been adopted by over 70 countries now. Most recently, and just recently, Australia, Chile, Brazil, Canada, and China passed laws or signed agreements with Europe that limit the use of the term champagne. The United States bans the use from all new U.S. produced wines. Actually, that's new is a very important thing because a lot of these that have been calling champagne are grandfathered in. A good example would be Taylor's uh, Sailors, New York. Taylor's Champagne has been around for a long, long time, and they can still call it Champagne because they are father, grandfathered in. Uh, only those who had approval before 2006, and I believe it was May 16, 2006, is the actual date the papers were signed. And uh, But if they do call it Champagne in the United States, they have to have an actual origin of it, like California Champagne or New York Champagne or wherever you can. If you're grandfathered in, still have to do it. Any new ones, can't do it. Oregon actually has passed a ban that says you cannot use the term at all, Champagne, so you won't be seeing any Champagnes coming out of Oregon. And uh, <laughs> the United States... Name protection of wine growing place names became more important, uh, and which caused the Napa Declaration of Place to be signed and put into effect. The Napa Declaration of Place, this is uh, the Declaration to Protect Wine, Place, and Origin. Uh, commonly known as the Napa Declaration Place, is, quote, Declaration of Joint Principles, stating the importance of location to wine and the need to protect place names. This is my name. You can't use it. Uh, the Declaration Group brings together a diverse group of wine regions from many continents that compete with each other in the marketplace. Yet they agree that protecting wine place names worldwide is the key to a future of quality wine to avoid customer confusion. In 2011, the Declaration Group released a poll of 1,000 U.S. wine consumers. This is the findings. 
consider the region where a wine comes from an important factor when buying a bottle of wine. And, and as an aside, this isn't part of the survey, but not many people know about AVAs in the United States, American Viticulture Areas. And yet they think it's important that they know where the bottle of wine came from. Well, start following your ABA. Start looking at those, and you will find a lot of that stuff. You will understand more of where wine comes from. But, you know, well, okay. Point. 75% report they would be less likely to buy a wine if they learned that it claimed to be from a place like Champagne, Napa Valley, Oregon, but in actuality was not. That makes sense. Point. 84% think that the region a wine comes from is extremely important in determining its quality. Again, let's go back to the AVAs, people. Start learning your AVAs. Point. 96% say the, the consumers deserve to know that the location where the wine grapes are grown is accurately stated on wine labels. Again, AVA. And, last point, 98% support establishing worldwide standards for all winemakers that will require that they accurately state the location where the wine grapes are grown on wine labels. And they pretty much do that. You know, I mean, a winery in Florida, if they shipped in a containers of Cabernet Sauvignon from California... They can label it as California Cabernet Sauvignon. They can't call it Florida Cabernet Sauvignon because obviously it's not there, but they can't call it California Cabernet Sauvignon, which doesn't tell you a whole lot because there are areas in California that are just as dry and, you know, they grow grapes in areas about like that of Florida. But if it comes from California, they can actually put that on the label. Support for wine growing place name protection and had been growing for a long time. And it's also being picked up by names and food. Now I mentioned this before too, and I, I just ran across an article that we talked about of uh, place designation for food. And I was going to follow up, and I tried to find some more information on that, and I could not find something that was up to date. Uh, most articles I found were, were older, and just nothing new. But the an open letter on October 19, 2011, signed by a group of chefs and sommeliers leading to the support and truth of wine labeling, and these chefs were big-name restaurant owners, uh, from around the globe. And the declaration was signed in July 2005 by five United States growing regions and three European Union wine growing regions. Uh, Napa Valley, Washington, Oregon, Walla Walla Valley, and Willamette Valley, along with uh, the Champagne region, uh, Oporto, the region where port wine is produced, and Juarez, the region where sherry is produced. So, these were all uh, all a part of it. Now, it, and they were later joined by Sonoma County, Paso Ropos, Chianti Classico, Tokay, Australian, <coughs> excuse me, Australian states of Victoria and Western Australia, 
And then uh, Roja and Long Island added their signatures. And then it continues Santa Barbara, Bordeaux, uh, Chablis. Uh, and it's been ongoing and being signed by others continuously who want to join the uh, name of place, Declaration of Place, actually. The text of the Declaration of Place, and it's very short, actually. Uh, Whereas it is generally acknowledged that there are a handful of truly extraordinary places on earth in which great wine is constantly produced, the names of these places are printed on labels side by side with the names of the producers to identify the origin of the wine, whereas wine, more than any other beverage, is valued based on its association to its place of origin, and with good reason. Even before modern technology allowed us to tie specific definitions to soils, terrain, and climates of noted wine regions, winemakers were drawn to these special places. The names of these places are familiar and synonymous with quality. We respectfully submit that the place where the wine is growing plays a very important role in the consumer selection process. We are furthermore united in our belief that the geographic place names of wine regions are the sole birthright of the grape that are grown there. And when these names appear on the wines that do not contain fruit from that region, they lose their integrity and their relevance, becoming merely words. Therefore, be it resolved that we, as some of the world's leading wine regions, join together in supporting efforts to maintain and protect the integrity of these place names, which are fundamental tools for consumer identification of great winemaking regions and the wines they produce. There's a lot of whereases in there. I skip the whereases every time a new vine started legal mumble jumble so I had to skip that but that's it that is the actual decoration they you know uh, we're doing this for the consumers actually they're doing it because they have also discovered that you can charge more money you can get a percentage more money which doesn't sound like much you know two or three percent on a bottle because the name designation could add up to millions of dollars well especially for a big wineries Sipping a little bit of Merlot tonight. It's a light, fruity Merlot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Southern California Merlot. Uh, so, name designation. Name, oh, declaration. Actually, they don't call it name designation. They call it declaration of, on place. And that is a... Uh, oh, crap. I lost my place here. Um... That is a declaration on place. And, uh, but, uh, regardless of legal requirements, extensive education efforts by the Champagne region, use of alternative names by non Champagne college producers, some consumers and wine sellers still use the generic term champagne, regardless of origin. Corbell's California Champagne is a good example. You can get that. Or Taylor, New York Champagne. The village of Champagne, Switzerland, has traditionally made a still wine labeled as champagne. Makes sense. That's the village. The earliest records 
of viticulture dated to 1657. And in an accord with the EU, the Swiss government conceded in 1999 that by 2004, the village would phase out use of the name. Sales dropped from 110,000 bottles a year to 32,000 after the change. Oh my gosh. That's what, three and a half times less? In April of 2008, the villagers resolved to fight against the restriction following a Swiss open air vote. I haven't heard of results on that. I tried to find something and I couldn't find anything on it. In the Soviet Union, all sparkling wine was called Champagne, which is Russian for champagne. The name is still used today for some brands of sparkling wine produced in former Soviet republics, such as Sovetsky Champensky and Rusisko Champensky. Uh, yeah, let's uh, take a look at this uh, a little bit further here, what it has to say. Uh, this is from Latvia. Uh, and it's uh, they've been doing it for uh, a little over 100, about 120 years, 130 years. This... Uh, it's a generic sparkling wine produced in Soviet Union, and it has been produced for many years in state-run initiatives. It's a blend of Aligate and Chardonnay grapes. I think it's Aligate. Uh, Soviet Union dissolved and private corporations in Belarus, Russia, Moldova, and Ukraine purchased the rights to use Soviet champagne as a brand name and game began manufacturing it once again. Soviet champagne is still being produced today by these private companies using the original generic title as a brand name. So you can actually get yourself a Soviet champagne if you can find one. I don't even know if they shipped her to the States. It, it doesn't say. Uh, the Russian Tsar Pavel the first, first brought together Crimean vines and French master champagne makers, um, but it was a Russian aristocrat, Prince Golston, who established the first successful Russian sparkling wine. And uh, it was so successful that in 1900 Paris World Fair, uh, the Nouvelle Svet champagne defeated all the French entries to claim the internationally coveted Grand Prize de Champagne. So back in 1900, the Russian champagnes did what America did in the, in the great contest of 74. Uh, under European law, or EU law, as well as treaties accepted by most nations, sparkling wines produced outside the Champagne region cannot be called champagne. We just talked about that. Hungary, which originally produced uh, Sovetsky Champanovsky, uh, today produces the beverage under the name Sovetsky Igristi, a name that has also been used by some of the Soviet producers. I don't know what Igristi means. Does it tell me? No, it doesn't tell me. Um, other brands in the areas and all that are still around. 
And in January 2016, the Ukrainian producer announced the renaming of the brand to Savitsky Shampanovsky to comply with the decommunization laws. This is the decommunization laws, a formal decommunization process started in Ukraine after laws were approved, which, among other acts, outlawed communist symbols. Hmm. So, there you go. You can always look up more stuff. Russian wine, sparkling wine, stuff like that will have more information on that stuff if you are interested. And, let's see, production. You know, this is the classic, the uh, traditional method in which champagne is produced is method champagne. Uh, After primary fermentation and bottling, a second alcoholic fermentation occurs in the bottle. This is the second fermentation that's induced by adding several grams of yeast and rock sugar to the bottle. Although each brand has their own secrets, how much, and all that other good stuff. According to the Appalachian, the original controller, a minimum of 1.5 years is required to develop all the flavors. So it has to be in the bottle for 1.5 years. For years, or 1.5 years, uh, the harvest is, if the harvest is exceptional, they can rule it as a single harvest or a single vintage and not blend it. And this means that it's a very good year. But then they have to mature it for at least three years before they can release it. So, again, lots and lots of rules in uh, the Champagne region to to get what you want. Bubbles, and the effort of bubbles occurs in Champagne contacts the glass on pouring. These bubbles form an form on imperfections in the glass that facilitate nucleation, nucleation, or to a lesser extent, on cellulose fibers left over from the wiping and drying process, as shown with a high-speed video camera. Hmm. However, after the initial rust, these naturally occurring imperfections are typically too small to consistently act as nucleation points as the surface tension of the liquid smooths out these minute irregularities. The nucleation sites that act as a source of the ongoing effervescence are typically done with acid, a laser or glass action tool to provide for the continuous bubbles. Dom Perignon was originally charged with, by his superiors at the Abbey to get rid of bubbles since the pressure in the bottles caused many of them to burst in the cellar. As sparkling wine production increased in the early 18th century, cellar workers had to wear a heavy iron mask to prevent entry from spontaneously bursting bottles. The disturbance caused by one bottle exploding could cause a chain reaction with it being routine for sellers to lose anywhere from 20 to 90% of their bottles this way. The mysterious circumstance surrounding the then unknown process of fermentation and carbonic gas caused some critics to call the sparkling creations the devil's wine. 90% lost of that. That would, Oh my gosh, that just... You would sit and cry for hours if you were that. 
Champagne produces. There are more than 100 Champagne houses and 19,000 smaller vine-growing producers in Champagne. And these companies manage some 32,000 hectares of vineyard in the region. And uh, they have uh, actually the labels on the bottom of Champagne bottles from Champagne have... uh, significance on the on the names that they grow on it's either a, a, a grower champagne or a corporate eve or all they you know it's got a whole list of what they all are and there it tells what it means and you know in the french and i don't want to destroy too many words so i won't even try uh marketing champagne has been around for a long time great varieties <coughs> excuse me general rule grace must be a white chardonnay or dark skin red wine, Pinot Noir, or Pinot Meunier. Meunier. Pinot Noir or Pinot Meunier, which, due to gentle pressing of the grapes and absence of skin, yields the white wine base. Uh, Rosés are made from a blend of all three grapes also. Blanc de Blanc means white from white. Champagne are made from 100% Chardonnay. Blanc de Noir, white from black. It's made solely from Pinot Noir or Pinot Meunier or a mix of the two. So if you read those in the models, you can understand what those are a little bit more. Um, the 2010 version of the Appalachian for Champagne lists three or lists seven varieties of grapes that can be used: uh, Arbane, Chardonnay, Petit Meslier. Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Pinot Meunier, and Pinot Noir. Um, There is uh, less than 0.02% total vineyard planting of our Bain, Petit Mesler, and Pinot Blanc. So those aren't found a whole lot in your different champagnes. the, oh, here we go. The Gamay vines of the region were scheduled to be uprooted by 1942, but due to World War II, that was postponed until 1962, and that variety is no longer allowed in Champagne. So Gamay is not being used in Champagne at all. They they uprooted all those and the new plantings. Most Champagnes today are non-vintage, are blended. Uh, a Cuvée de Prestige is a preparation proprietary blend wine, usually a champagne that is considered to be top of the producer's range. So you will find, you know, Moet and Chandon, Dom Perignon, different ones that are proprietary blend. Uh, Blanc du Nord, white from black, so you told you Blanc du Blanc, white from white. Rosé champagnes uh, are, are pink champagnes, was cheap but now they become, you know, quite the trend and very expensive. The sweetness level in champagnes, the ripeness of the grapes and the amount of sugar added after the second fermentation or dosage varies and will affect the sh- amount of sugar remaining in the champagne when bottled for sale, and hence the sweetness of the finished wine. Wines labeled Brut Zero are, are more common among smaller producers, if have no added sugar, will usually be very dry with less than three grams of residual sugar per liter in the finished wine. 
The following terms are used to describe the sweetness on the bottle. Okay, extra brute. This is less than six grams of residual sugar per liter. Okay. Uh, and grams per liter is, is hard for us Americans to grasp. Um, that's not much. Very little. Six grams is very little. It doesn't, you know, it, uh, it's amazing how small that is. Brute, less than 12 grams per liter. Extra dry, which is sweeter than brute. Extra dry between 12 and 17 grams. <coughs> Excuse me. Sec, between 17 and 32 grams. Demisec, between 32 and 50 grams. And do, D-O-U-X, 50 grams. So if you're looking for a sweet champagne, get a demisec or a dough. Don't get the brute or extra brute. Those things are going to be drier. And the most common style you're going to find today is brute. Uh, and, you know, it was much sweeter than it was today. The, the, it was a uh, term used for the British, uh, and it was actually used as a dessert wine after a meal, um, more than a table wine, uh, except in Britain where they drank it with a meal. Uh, at this time, champagne sweetness was instead referred to by destination country. So knowing where the destination was, they made the wines sweeter or less sweet. Uh, the driest English is close to our contemporary taste. Uh, not they, American tastes tend to be a lot more sweet. Uh, French taste even more, and Russian is extremely sweet, uh, between 200 and 300 grams per liter, which, oh my gosh, uh, very sweet wines. Champagne bottles, uh, again, they were made to handle the pressure inside it. They come in all sorts of sizes and everything. You can get champagne bottles that are uh, uh, as big as uh, 12 liters and uh, as small as uh, the... Uh, uh, 375. I've seen some 375 liters. Champagne corks. Uh, lower section uh, is will be coming in contact with. So that is actually the the quality end of the cork. Uh, put it in by squeezing the cork and popping it in the bottle. Uh, the longer it's been in the bottle, the less it will return to a cylinder size. It is not just straight. It goes from the bottom and opens up slowly. And as you're opening up champagne bottles, throw yourself a towel or something over the head of it so you will not uh, have the things explode all over you. Open up very slowly with your thumb on either side of it, uh, the cork, and slowly push it up one at a time with each thumb on either side of it, rock it out basically, and it'll pop out. The colder a bottle is, the less it's going to shoot out, the less champagne you're going to lose. Um, and if you're paying lots of money for a bottle of champagne, get it good and chilled, 
before you open it because you don't want to spray champagne all over the place and lose all that. When you, uh, if you want champagne that's going to spray or if you're doing it to, uh, you know, show off or something, then open up a warm bottle. Warm bottle also will shoot the cork all over, so be careful where you're aiming that. It will shoot the cork. But not only do you have champagne out there and all the rules and everything that apply to champagne, but you also have lots of others. Cava, uh, Spanish, what they call their sparkling wines, Cava. You have uh, Prosecco, which is the French term for sparkling wines. Uh, since you can't call Champagne Champagne in anywhere except the Champagne region of France, all the areas around it call it Cremet. And you can pick up some very nice sparkling wines from other regions around there that are not Champagne. And I look for the Cremet uh, names on the bottles. Um, let's see. R-E, with a little mark above the E, M-A-N-T from it. German sect, S-E-K-T, is their sparkling wines. Uh, you can look for Spumante in uh, Italy. That's uh, what they usually refer to their sparkling wines. Everybody's heard of Spumante. And... Well, I mentioned Russian sparkling wines. Also, South African uses uh, Cap Classique. So there's lots of them out there. Lots of great sparkling wines. And, you know, this coming Monday evening is New Year's Eve. You'll be popping open ones. Uh, get some that you enjoy. Try different ones. And it's not, again, just for the holiday. Champagne is good our sparkling wines or cavas or whatever you want to use and call them are good all the time. So there's always something that you can enjoy with that. And that's it. Have yourself a wonderful, happy, and safe new year. And we're done for the night. Wow. Um, and I, I didn't realize champagne went back that far. <laughs> I didn't either. I, I really didn't. It has a lot I of mean, history. <laughs> It does. You, know, you, you always hear about you know, Dom Perignon, the inventor of champagne. He didn't invent it. He perfected it. But uh, champagne was, you know, the sparkling wine was around a long time before he got around to oh, yeah. doing that. So yeah. I, was, I was shocked by that. And uh, also, I'm, I was going to look up some stuff and, yeah, a strange lack of information on a few things that I wanted to try to find and especially the what was going on with uh, some of the areas that are, are that used to call it champagne like the town of champagne and stuff like that and couldn't find much information so I don't know I guess you know that's the way it goes so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's that will uh, end twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. We'll be back uh, next uh, in January. January the third. It looks like uh, is next Thursday, and uh, yeah. seven p.m. is the time, Eastern time. And um, thank you everybody for uh, for joining us tonight. And uh, 
for these this past year and the years before that. Uh, really yeah. appreciate that and all your support and everything. And um, we'll see you all. Be safe. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Monday night, Tuesday, and, and of course the weekends. But you know, definitely because uh, there's going to be a lot of partying going on. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be that much because it's on a weekday. Or but everybody has it off anyway. Most people. Everybody have. has off. You know. Tuesday or so, yeah. but the weather too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this, the weather across the country has moved around. That just that might, yeah. you know, really slow people down uh, yeah. on some of the party yeah. too. So, yep. I don't know. Uh, maybe they'll stay in. Maybe they'll stay inside. <laughs> party That's inside, it. don't yeah. go out on the road for sure. Party inside, yeah. don't go out on the roads, and then that way you know you're going to be safe. So, That's yeah, right. be responsible. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, day. Wine, we'll, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you all, uh, <laughs> next year, January 3rd. <laughs> Thanks a lot for tuning in and, um, have a, have a happy new year. Yeah. Have we'll, a happy new we'll, year. Yeah, Thanks for tuning in. See you yeah. next year. Should have had some kind of a uh, new year's nothing, no party noises or anything. Wow. No, oh, no, well. we don't. You know, we can have oh. the baby crying. Oh. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> No, the new year. There just the end of there the year. You. Just the end of this year. It'll be a new year. Okay. Yeah, that's the baby crying for the <laughs> That's new a good year. one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe next year I'll, next December I'll, I'll have uh, some party noises or something. Okay. Oh, you can sit down and start putting noises together for you. Know, we got Valentine coming up and we've got uh, oh, yeah. Fourth of yeah. July and, uh, you know, just, you know, make. <laughs> And get my jazz back on there so I can play that if I need to get a hold of the jazz. Yeah, I've I found the tune. I just had to upload it. Yeah, I found it, but it's not it's not up there. Yeah, it, it was off. I don't know why. Um, all right, we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot again. See you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.